0: We're continuing in our, through the Bible family reading program, and we're in the book of Kings now, First Kings chapter 17. If you've fallen along the wayside or are just new to Wallace, there is a guide published in each bulletin and a complete guide for the year's reading in the vestibule in the rear of the church as you're leaving. We encourage you to pick up right where we are and begin to read as often as possible the daily assigned readings and so get more out of our worship service each Sunday morning as we deal with the passages with which you have read and which you have read during the week. Now this morning we begin with the ministry of Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 17. Now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, Leave here, turn eastward and hide in the ravine of Kareet, east of the Jordan. You will drink from the brook, and I have ordered the ravens to feed you there. So he did what the Lord had told him. He went to the ravine of Carit, east of the Jordan, and stayed there. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. Sometime later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him, Go at once to Zarephath of Sidon, and stay there. I have commanded a widow in that place to supply you with food. So he went to Zarephath. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, Would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? As she was going to get it, he called, And bring me, please, a piece of bread surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. I am gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said. But first, make a small cake of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me and then make something for yourself and your son for this is what the Lord the God of Israel says the jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord gives rain on the land she went away and did as Elijah had told her So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and for her family. For the jar of flour was not used up and the jug of oil did not run dry in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. May God bless to our hearts the reading and hearing of this portion of his holy, inspired, infallible, and an errant word. The sermon this morning is entitled, Grace Inexhaustible. Grace Inexhaustible. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that you will put us in our place, make us understand that we are but creatures of dust, and that you will help us to put you in your place, to see you enthroned above all the heavens and with all power. Give to us grace, O Heavenly Father, to order our lives according to your word, that we may receive the richness of the blessings of life with you. For we ask in Christ's name, amen. Sometimes when you're driving along the highway in a hot summer circumstance, you look ahead and Right in the middle of the road, you see this large patch of water. You're tempted to slam on brakes, but you know that what you see is not what is really there. It's only a mirage, something that looks like a puddle of water on the highway, but actually is not there. As you're moving along through the various circumstances of life, many times you look ahead and you panic. You see some things beginning to come together that could frighten you and threaten your peace of mind. Things that look like desperate circumstances indeed for you. But not always is there a problem as a matter of fact. Many times you're just anticipating something that will never be realized. But in the case of this widow woman, this woman of Zarephath, she was not imagining great calamity. She was a widowed woman. She had no one to provide for her. And in those circumstances, the loss of a husband meant the loss of any family income. For along with widowhood came poverty. There were no career women in those days. And she was thrown into the depths of poverty. She wasn't dreading any downturn of the economy. She already was living with nothing. And then on top of those calamities of having lost her husband, of having to live in poverty and yet try to raise a son, there came upon the land drought and famine. She exhausted every resource that she had. She knocked on every door that had generously provided for her in the past as she begged in her community. She went to those places where people disposed of the scraps of food that she might feed her body, but since everyone was in such desperate circumstances, she could find nothing. She was indeed in a desperate circumstance. Finally, she's down to her last meal. She's ready to give in. She feels she can go no further. But she will not die. God will, in his grace, preserve her in her desperate circumstances. God will look at these desperate circumstances and see with a heart of compassion this woman in her need. And God will provide for her in her need. God will use these circumstances to kindle faith in her so that man's extremity becomes God's opportunity. How do you respond to truly desperate circumstances? Not just the mirages of life, not just the crises that you might imagine, but actual desperate circumstances when you can't see how you can keep it together. Perhaps it's circumstances of tension with your own spirit and you don't feel you can bear another burden in life and yet they continue to keep coming upon you. Do you respond by complaint? Do you respond by being bitter, casting blame upon someone else in the family, someone at work that has put you out of a job or do you even dare under your breath to complain against God because of the calamities of your life? Do you trust? Do you commit your life to God even when you cannot see a way out? Be encouraged. The word of God says that God, by his word, preserves his remnant despite desperate circumstances. In this particular passage of scripture, and particularly as it is enlightened by the words of Christ in the New Covenant, you see that God is here teaching that it is his remnant that he preserves. It is his people for whom he cares. Now when you speak of a remnant, you generally think of a little piece of something. If you're into buying remnants, you go and expect to find little pieces of cloth, little bits of a bolt that have been left over Now, that's not always the case in the Bible. The remnant is not necessarily a few people. As a matter of fact, even in this circumstance, God told Elijah that he had 3,000 people unknown to him that had not bowed the knee to Baal. But it is God's own people to whom he manifests grace in desperate circumstances. And you can see how that is worked out in the life of this woman, and in the life of Elijah. Elijah is, at this point, all the way on the other side of Israel. And in that circumstance, Elijah's brook dries up. Elijah has had it so easy up to this point. There has been a famine in the land, a judgment of God upon the people because of their turning away from him. For approximately a full year, there has been no rain in the land. And yet God has provided... For his servant. At the brook Cherit, he is there, and there is water for him to drink. And God has commanded the ravens to bring to him bread and meat twice a day. So Elijah just sits back, enjoys the cool breezes down by his little brook, and waits for the delivery at his doorstep each day. How wonderful is God's grace. How amazing it is that he would order these ravens who would normally devour that food that was given to them to deliver it to his prophet in that time of need. But then the brook dries up. And God says to Elijah, I want you to cross the whole of the country of Israel. Go from one extremity to the other. It would be as though God would say to you, I want you to move from Washington to California. I want you to make that kind of trip. And you can imagine that Elijah would have said, well, Lord, certainly there must be a widow nearby. Why do I have to make that dry trip all the way across the country to the widow of Zarephath who lived near Sidon? God works in strange ways. For Sidon was right in the middle of Jezebel's homeland. Jezebel was the reason for the curse that had come upon Israel in these circumstances. Jezebel had come from the region of Sidon and had introduced into the worship of Israel cultic prostitution. She had introduced into the worship of Israel child sacrifice. And because the Israelites had followed along the lead of Jezebel, their new queen, they had been brought under the judgmental hand of God. And now Elijah, from his place of security, is to go into the very heartland of Jezebel. He is to go to a widow, a heathen widow, in the land of Sidon. Elijah has been hiding from the royalty Now he is to go directly into her stronghold. Incidentally, it shows the impotency of God's enemies. They can rage all they wish, but they can only do what God allows. You remember what the Lord Jesus said even when he was under arrest. You can do nothing to me except as God my Father allows it. You can rest secure that no matter what your calamitous circumstances may be, men... And circumstances can do no more to you than what God determines that they are to do. In order to get to Sidon, Elijah had to pass through the entire breadth of the nation of Israel. He passed right by the king's summer house in Jezreel. And yet he didn't lift a finger. He bypassed many Israelite villages where other widows must have been in desperate plight because of the circumstances of the famine and the drought. Now why is that? Why is it that he should bypass God's own people for this lonely, heathen woman in the land of Sidon from whence Jezebel had come? God did not send Elijah past All these villages without stopping because he had no compassion for those people. As a matter of fact, God had shown more compassion for the Israelites than toward all the other nations in the world. The problem was that the Israelites had spurned his love. The Israelites had turned their back upon his grace. They had deliberately turned the the cold shoulder to the Lord. Often in church, you hear people stand up and testify to the way in which God moved them from spiritual indifference to spiritual zeal. It is a great blessing to see how God does indeed work in the cold hearts of people and turn them to serve him. But there is a reverse process that goes on also. Many times those who are moved with spiritual zeal and desire to serve the Lord move from that point To a point of spiritual indifference. To a point of hardening their hearts against the Lord. It can happen in this church. It can happen in your own heart. You can be moved away from a point of zealous serving of the Lord. To a point of coldness and indifference to the service of the Lord. Jesus said I will spew you out of my mouth. Because you have become lukewarm in your service to me. Jesus summarizes this very situation at the conclusion of his first sermon in Nazareth, his hometown. Here is the town where Jesus grew up. What an honor, what a privilege to have the Son of God grow up in your midst. Here he's preaching his first sermon in Nazareth. And Jesus says, there were many widows in Israel in the time of Elijah the prophet. But Elijah was sent to none of them, but to the widow in Sidon, to the heathen woman. Why it so enraged, the people of Jesus' hometown, that they went after him physically, tried to seize him and throw him off a cliff, because they didn't like this message that he gave him. Why was Elijah sent across the land to this widow? Because of God's grace and because of Israel's apostasy. Because Israel turned away from the Lord, the judgment of God had come upon them. And by the casting off of Israel, there came to be the day of the riches of the Gentiles. And that is the day in which you live. You live in the day of the fullness of the richness of the Gentiles. Think of the grace of God that is extended to you, even the heathen Gentiles today. You may not have grown up in a Christian family. You may not have any true blue Presbyterian heritage in your background. But you can nonetheless experience the bounties of the grace of God providing for you every day, no matter what your calamity may be, if you will repent of your sin, Turn away from your wrongdoing. Acknowledge the evil that you have committed in your soul. And look in faith to the Lord Jesus Christ for his grace and provision. You may have spent your life in debauchery and rebellion against God. You may have insulted him by not serving him as the holy creator through all your life. But it is not too late. For God's grace is extended even in this day. To those who have not sought him. It's a sad reality on the one side. That those who have God's name upon them may apostatize and thus not receive the blessing of the Lord in their lives. But it will always be true. God always will maintain a people for himself. And that is the most important fact in human history. To get across to Sidon, Elijah had to cross over what was called in that time the Way of the Sea. In the 20th century, you would call it U.S. Highway 1 or Interstate 95 that stretches all the way from the Keys up to Maine, that major highway along the East Coast. That place where all the traffic goes back and forth. The way of the sea was the way that went right across the path that Elijah had to cross. And every army, emperor, and general worth his salt that had marched anywhere in the world had marched along the way of the sea. Yet Elijah jumps across that highway as though it were a tricycle track. He's got more important business. He's got to get over there. To a lonely widow that is dying. That at this point is still heathen in her life and faith. God will preserve his remnant. He has given his son to die for you who may be in calamitous circumstances today. And even though you may have strayed from God to this point in your life. Even though you have neglected him you can be as the apple of God's eye. The Lord Jesus has come to make a way open to any who will come to him and to look to him for faith. You can have the protection of God surrounding you no matter what your calamitous circumstances if you will only look to Christ in faith. God preserves men in desperate circumstances. God preserves his remnant. His people, those who look to him in faith, in desperate circumstances. And perhaps most importantly of all, this portion of the word of God says that God preserves his people according to his word in their desperate circumstances. You cannot expect to be preserved in times of desperation by your own resources of strength but you must look by faith to the word of God and you must respond in faith and obedience to the word of God that has been spoken to you if you are to rejoice in the blessings of God's provision in the time of calamity. Notice the role that the word of God plays in this particular narrative. First, God commands by his word. God gives a command. Now the command given to this widow was a very gentle command. It came in the form of a request from the prophet. He says to the widow, if you would please give me a little drink of water. It seems very small. A very small thing. But if you are going to be delivered according to God's grace in your time of calamity, you must show your faith by manifesting it in obedient service to him. God begins in the case of this widow by establishing his lordship over her life. Elijah says, would you bring me a little water? Not a big demand, but it forces her to decide whether God is going to be first in her life or whether she will serve herself first in her life. What does she do? She responds. She's going. She's on the way. In some ways, you might say the faith of this woman, as is manifested in this case by her obedience to the word of Elijah, is as great a miracle as the the oil that did not fade and as the flower that never failed. But as she's going, she receives a little greater test. Elijah says, oh, and would you please bring me just a little cake of bread as well as some water? I've been traveling all the way across this land. I'm weary. I'm famished. Would you bring me just a little bit of cake? And then the woman pours out her heart to Elijah. She explains her situation. She says, don't you see my emaciated face? Don't you understand that I have... Hardly anything to eat myself. Don't you know that I'm just gathering a few sticks to prepare the last meal of my life? I've only got a little bit of flour for myself and my son. Just a little bit of oil to mix them. I'm going to make my last fire, cook my last cake. And you come and you ask me to provide for you. Elijah responds with reassurance, but also by reiterating God's claim on her life. Don't you think that just because you may be in desperate circumstances that you can cast off the claim of God on your life? Don't you think that you can ignore the fact that he is going to establish his lordship over your life? Elijah says, go and make me just a small cake of bread. What's in your heart? That's the question. What is in your heart with respect to God? Do first for him. You know, when you begin to write your checks at the first of the month, the first check you write should be the check of your offering to the Lord. Don't wait until you've paid all the bills and sure you've got to be sure you've got enough to cover everything. The first thing you do is make your offering to the Lord. The first committal you make in your budget is an offering that you make to the Lord. And thereby you attest to the fact that he is the Lord of your life. It is not that God demands of you what you do not have. It is that God expects of you according to what he has provided to you. But always it is that God must be first. God must be acknowledged as the first in your life. In your desperation, keep your priorities straight. Keep your cool. Don't panic. Put God in your first in your life. And if he is right in your life, then all others things will be right. Whatever my God ordains is right. Holy his will abideth. I will be still whatever he doth and follow where he guideth. He is my God. Though dark my road, he holds me that I shall not fall. Wherefore to him I leave it all. Whatever my God ordains is right. Here shall my stand be taken. Though sorrow, need, or death be mine. Yet am I not forsaken. My father's care is round me there. He holds me that I shall not fall. And so to him I leave it all. God not only commands by his word in this desperate circumstance, he also promises by his word in these desperate circumstances. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says to the woman. The jar of flour will not be used up, and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord gives rain on the land. How do you imagine this miracle working? Have you thought about what it's like? Well, I think maybe the best way to imagine this miracle working is to see the jug of oil and the jar of flour never filled and never emptied. Never filled and never emptied. Every time the woman went to the jar for flour, there was just enough for that meal. And there was just enough oil to mix with the flour. She used it all up. And then, suddenly, somehow, it was filled up again. God was testing her every day. Three times a day. She had to go back again by faith and see if God was going to provide for her. And every time she had to make her priorities straight, she had to first make the cake for the prophet with what was left, and then for herself and her family. It's so tempting. If you're just like me, you want tomorrow's grace today. You don't wanna wait until tomorrow to get tomorrow's grace. You want a little bit of assurance. You want a little bit of cushion. You want a little bit of, of room there so you don't feel such absolute necessity and distress so that you want tomorrow's grace for today. Many times when you face a calamitous circumstance, your problem is not that God has not given you enough grace for today. Your problem is that you're worried that you won't have enough grace for tomorrow. And you're anticipating and imagining that problem so great and so large that's coming upon you, and you can't see how you're going to face the problem that is ahead of you. And rather than waiting for tomorrow for the grace to be there, you want that grace for today. Why should God give you the grace to die today when you're not going to die today? God will give you the grace that you need at the time that you need it. How oh, that widow's faith must have been tested for two, two and a half years, every day. The jar was not filled up, the jar was not empty. God wants you to trust him just that day, that way. Why do you think the Lord taught you to pray? Give us day by day our daily bread. God promises. And you must trust that promise. God commands by his word. God promises in his word. And finally, God provides according to his word. God does not minimize the significance of your problem. If you are really in a calamitous circumstance and not facing a mirage, but facing reality in terms of trial in your life, be assured that God does not minimize that circumstance. Our Lord Jesus Christ was clothed in human flesh that he might experience the infirmities that men feel. He has known every trial and testing that you have known and he understands exactly the calamity that you're undergoing or facing. And in that circumstance, God provides. The scripture says she went away and did as Elijah had told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and for her family. What a blessing that God provided for her according to her need. Look at the repayment schedule. She makes an investment. What is the investment? Just enough for one meal. Suppose, just suppose, she had said no. She would have enjoyed that last meal, but very likely that would have been the end of it all. But instead, she surrenders that which is life itself to the Lord of her life. And as a result, what does she get in return? She gets two and a half years of daily provision, always there according to what she needs. For the little surrender, she gets that massive benefit. And that's the way God works in your life. For the little surrender of what you are, for the surrender of all that you are to him, he returns to you the bounties of eternal life that begin now. She had a personal word to her. The jar of flour will not fail and the oil will never be used up. And that was God's word directly to her. Is there such a word of God directly to you? Yes, there is. The scriptures say, My God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. God shall supply all your needs, all of you who trust in him, according to, in accordance with, the riches that are in Christ Jesus. Look to him. Trust in him. Be comforted in the realities of your calamities. For God will provide Let us pray. We come, O Heavenly Father, and thank you for the way you have demonstrated your faithfulness in the past in our lives. We express to you the weakness of our faith and our inclination to turn to trusting in ourselves. But we ask you that by your grace and mercy, you will help us each day anew to look to you alone for the provisions of our life. Show your mighty hand and your graciousness to us who are sinners that we might experience your grace in our lives. For Christ's sake, amen.